0: You're listening to the First Baptist Church of Hazel Park audio podcast. We hope that this podcast is a helpful resource in your daily walk with Christ. Now, here's today's sermon. All right. Good singing tonight. Uh, If you would turn with me to Genesis chapter number 28. We are still covering... A chapter a week. It doesn't necessarily mean that's the way it's going to be, but that's just how we're, at. we're doing it right now. Genesis chapter 28. Now, uh, last week, we we saw a family that we might describe as dysfunctional in some ways. Mom had a favorite. Dad had a favorite. They were dishonest. They were deceitful. They, they did everything they could to make sure that their favorite got the best of everything. Uh... Now, this family, I I think if we were to try to name some character traits that we saw in chapter 27, we would say, well, they were governed by their feelings, they showed favoritism, there was deceit, there was greed, there was anger. Uh, Esau threatens that once his dad dies, he's going to go kill his brother. So, it's not a good family situation. But then we come to chapter 28. And even after all of that, we see God's grace in his family. We see that this... God's grace comes into this family, but it comes into, specifically today, tonight we'll see, into the servant, his servant, his chosen servant, Jacob. Isaac had tried so hard to make sure that Esau was the vessel that God would use. But he didn't get to choose that. And we as parents don't get to choose how God is going to use our children. All of us want our our children to be used, but we don't get to choose it. Listen, if, if somebody raises a young man and he becomes a preacher of the gospel, that's great. But that doesn't mean that parent did better than the parent who raised the child who grew up to become an accountant. Um, there, there's, because God chooses how he uses people. We don't get to do that. We can pray for them. and We should. We can prepare them. And we should. And we, we're preparing them to serve God. But we're not necessarily preparing them to be in full-time ministry. That's totally up to God. So, we, can, uh, so we, we see Esau saying, I want my son to have this role. I want my son to have this in God's plan. And God said no, and he could not overcome God's plan. Now we come to chapter 28, verse number one. And here we see Isaac is going to give a second blessing to his son, Jacob. This time it was on purpose. This time he is planning to do it. He wasn't deceived. Look at verse one. And Isaac called Jacob, and blessed him, and charged him, and said unto him, Thou shalt not take a wife of the daughters of Canaan. Arise, go to Peta and Aram, to the house of Bethuel, thy mother's father. And take thee a wife from thence, of the daughters of Laban, my mother, thy, brothers, thy mother's brother. And God Almighty bless thee, and make thee fruitful, multiply thee, that thou mayest be a multitude of people. And give thee the blessing of Abraham... To thee and to thy seed with thee, that thou mayest inherit the land wherein thou art a stranger, which God gave unto Abraham. And Isaac sent away Jacob, and he went to Paddan Pet- Pet- Aram unto Laban, son of Bethuel, the Syrian, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob's and Esau's mother. Isaac calls Jacob in the second time. This time he's planning on it, and he is going to bless him. <laughs> I think Isaac has realized that maybe maybe he should have learned it quicker, but we probably should too. He's realized that God is going to have his way. The elder is going to serve the younger just like he had planned. The blessing and the charge are together in the same speech in verses 1-4. through four. So he blesses him and he charges him. He tells him what he expects. God has chosen to use Jacob. But you know, uh, God, and I mentioned this this morning, but God chooses how he's going to use someone and he had chosen he was going to bless Jacob, he's chosen he's going to bless the world through the seed of Jacob but you know, you can also affect God's blessings in your life you can affect, your obedience can, be, can have an effect on how on what God does and how he blesses you so Isaac lays out instructions for Jacob, he says, thou shalt not now, we know, and that's verse number one, thou shalt not take a wife of the daughters of Canaan, we know that that's very strong language, right? God wasn't kidding in Exodus chapter 20 when he said thou shalt not Thou shalt not do this, thou shalt not do that. And so Jacob, or Isaac here, is laying out very firm instructions. He's not just recommending or teaching wisdom. He's not just saying, hey, listen, buddy, I think this would be a good idea for you. I think, um, you know, listen, I think that maybe you should try serving this God. Is that, is that the approach people take with their children? I hope it's not the approach we take with our children. Now, Jacob, or Isaac, could not control Jacob, right? He could not control him. Obviously, we saw that with Esau. Esau wasn't controlled. Esau made his own decision. But he may not have been able to control him, but that didn't diminish the clarity and the straightforward nature of his command to his son. Right? I I can't control my children. I can tell my daughters, they're a thousand miles away, nine hundred and I think ninety-two miles away. Uh, from us, and they are a thousand miles away, and I can tell them, don't do that. Listen, that's wrong. Don't do that. You better not do that. But I'm not there to control them. My son lives with me, and I say, don't do this, don't do that. And for the most part, he he obeys, right? 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 Uh, For the most part, he obeys. He doesn't always. Neither did I. I know my parents are shocked by that. Um, But he... But I'm, gonna, I'm not going to hold back on what is right and what is wrong with him, even though I can't control him. And so uh, he was blinded earlier. He had been blinded to Esau's sinful choices because of his own desires for Esau. Isaac now seems ready, finally, to give good counsel and instruction uh, to his son, uh, his son Jacob. Isaac has made many wrong choices. By the way, Esau has made many wrong choices. By the way, Jacob has, too. But God's grace is going to be seen in his life. Now, Isaac's instructions are specific. He says, I want you to go here. I want you to go to this house. I want you to get a, a wife from this family. And, uh, and, he, and he says, this is a part of what he commands him coming through verse 2. Then in verse 3, he says, and God Almighty bless thee. The blessing, we talked a little bit last, last week about the blessing and the birthright. The blessing really is something that goes along with the birthright. Esau was born with the right to the birthright. But he despised it. That simply meant he had that it, it did not have the values in it that it should have. He only wanted material benefits that he could get. Sorry, he wasn't interested in the covenant that was given to his father and grandfather. So he so then uh, Isaac tells Jacob, Alright, here's what I want. I want you to go here, I want you to. Not take daughters in verse 1. Not take daughters of, uh, of the, the wife of the daughters of Canaan. Then I want you to go here. Here's where I want you to find a wife. Verse 3. And God Almighty bless thee and make thee fruitful multiply thee that thou mayest be a multitude of people. You see, he realized it was very important who he married. It was very important that he make the right choice in who he married. It, it was important that not that she be of a certain nationality, but that she be of a certain religion. A certain Persuasion when it comes to God and who he is. So the blessing starts with get married, get married to the right woman, have children, have grandchildren, many of them. And then he says, may your seed inherit the promises that our God had made to Abraham. Now, although Isaac had mistakenly given that promise and had given the blessing to Jacob, it was a blessing he should have received. But the blessing wasn't complete. So in verses three and four, he completes the blessing uh, what he should have, which is to have a multitude of people, a multiply, a multitude of people and give thee the blessing of Abraham to thee and to thy seed with thee that thou mayest inherit the land where thou art a stranger. So he had wanted Esau to inherit that land. He had wanted Esau. Remember in the, when he gave the blessing to the wrong son last week, in last week's passage. When he did that, he says, and may those people serve you. May your your mother's other sons rule be ruled by you. And he had tried so hard, but now he realizes, and he says, listen, this promise is yours. This covenant that God had made is yours. And he realizes that, and he passes that down, at least verbally. Then in verse 6, Esau comes back on the scene, and Esau saw, saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padanaram. Paddan- to take him a wife from thence, and that he, was, that he blessed him. Uh, he gave him a charge saying, Thou shalt not take a wife of the daughters of Canaan. So he's, Esau realizes, he understands what's going on. Verse 7, Jacob obeyed his father and his mother was gone to Padanaram. And Esau, seeing that the daughters of Canaan pleased not his Isaac his father, then went Esau to Ishmael and took un, unto the wives which he had, Mahalat, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sitter of Nebuchadnezzar, to be his wife. Alright, so... Esau is back in the picture. He's been back in the picture down the road, but he's kind of been here just for a little bit here. And what we see is that he tries something, but it's just too little too late. He thought, well, um, all right, I see what my parents want. They don't want me to take a daughter from the, from the wife and the daughter of Canaan. But what does he do? He takes the wife from the daughter of Ishmael. So think about this. If you, if you put this in a family tree and you draw this out, you would see that he was actually taking a wife that was closer in relation than Jacob was going to go find. Jacob is looking for his uncle's, daughter's, uh, his uncle's daughter, right? But Esau says, okay, if that's how you feel about things, I'm going to go out and I'm going to go even further. I'm going to find someone even closer. Now, then he thinks, okay, this should please them, right? But Esau just did not understand He thought, I can do better than what's expected, and that would redeem my, me to my parents. Okay? Now, we might say, um, you, you tell, your, you tell your, uh, your son or daughter, I, I want you to do the dishes while I'm gone. And you come home, and they've done the dishes, and they folded laundry. And we would go, wow, you've really earned some bonus points there, right? Uh, this is awesome. You've really endeared yourself. But listen, when God gives us a command, we can't go beyond it to earn extra credit. Right. We can't earn God's favor. We can't earn his grace. And It reminds me that when people, they see God's commands, they think, well, I can go further than God asks. And that's going to and he's going to be even happier with me. God just wants you to be obedient. You see, that's what legalism says. Legalism says, um, you know, I know God told me not to that, that I need to not do this. So, I'm not going to do that, but I'm going to go a little further because that will endear me to Him. Then we misunderstand, and there's no, we misunderstand the definition of grace in favor that God is not looking for me to go above and beyond past His requirements. I'm not saying that God, that we don't do our reasonable service. Listen, but you will never do more than what, uh, you will never do more than what is required of you. You might think, well, if I, if God says go to church on the Lord's Day, and I go twice on Sunday, man, God's really going to have favor with me. God's really going to like, and then, listen, Wednesdays aren't even in the Bible, but I come back on Wednesdays for Bible study. So God's going to really be happy with me. You see, I don't come to church on Sunday, Sunday evening. I don't come back. I don't come for Sunday school. I don't come for Wednesday night. I come because I'm paid to be. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but before I was paid to be here, I didn't come. Because I, let me rephrase it, because I probably did at times, okay but I, I shouldn't be coming because I think I'm earning God's favor. I come because I need it. Yes, God does say, right Hebrews 10:25 uh, says, not forsake the assembling of yourselves. So I'm here because we're assembling and I need to be a part of this body, but I'm here because I need it, not because I'm trying to make myself look better in God's eyes. Um, so we legalism says I'm going to do even more. Because I'm trying to make up for something. You can't make up for something. You can never make up for your failures by doing more. Jesus made up for it on the cross. Now come to verse 10. And Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran and he lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night because the sun was set. And he took of the stones of that place and put them for his pillows and laid down in that place to sleep. Now most of us are probably thinking, Jacob, that's the softest thing you could find for a pillow. Um, but we think of a pillow like I lay in my nice soft bed and I got my nice, my nice soft pillow right under my head. Well, this is probably he was making more of a, a bed that was a comfort. It was just the, the shape of it. So, but anyway, he, he, he lays down and he takes pillows. He lays down there to sleep. Verse 12, and he dreamed, behold a ladder set up to the earth and top of it reached the heaven and behold the angels of God ascending and descending on it. How many of you see a tall ladder and you just automatically get sick looking up it? You're like, I, no, I can't do that. Uh, I, some of us, Micah and I, and, uh, we, it's the higher the better, right? I mean, to a certain extent. Um, we just, I, I like heights. I like being the guy up on heights. But some of you, you see a tall ladder and you're like, I can't even go in that room. Okay, Joshua, I know... Um, Joshua and I worked on speakers here one time when I first came, and he's like, oh, I can't do that. Uh, It's okay. Now, verse 13, and behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, thy father, and the God of Isaac, the land wherein thou liest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed. And thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and thou shalt spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south, and in thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And behold, I am with thee, and will keep thee in all places whither thou goest, and will bring bring thee again into this land. For I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken of to thee. And Jacob awaked out of his sleep and said, "Surely the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not." So we have Jacob's dream, and in his dream, in this in the passage here, in his dream, we have two things: we have the scene that he sees, and we have the message that he receives. The scene is what we often hear depicted about. Depicted when we hear about Jacob. People think of Jacob's ladder, and they think, okay, if you looked at, I didn't do this, but I'm guessing, if you looked up Google Images and you looked up Jacob from the Bible, probably a fair number of those are going to be Jacob with this stairway going into heaven. Now, a ladder here, the ladder doesn't necessarily mean two vertical posts with some rungs in between. Uh, But it probably is more like a stairwell or a staircase uh, that's going up to heaven. Now, on this staircase, he sees angels. And he sees angels uh, going up and going down the stairs. This is demonstrating the access that there is to heaven. The access that there is to God, to his throne. So what does the ladder represent? Well, in John chapter 1, verse 51, Jesus was talking to Nathanael who would become one of his disciples. And he said this, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Hereafter ye shall see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. The the ladder, the access between uh, between earth and heaven is Jesus. The ladder here is a picture of Jesus Christ. He is our access to heaven. And he was Jacob's access to the throne. Then the message the Lord stands at the top of the ladder and then makes with Jacob the same covenant that he had made with Abraham, his father, in Genesis chapter 12, the same covenant he had made with Isaac, his father, in Genesis chapter 26. He makes the same covenant. And in that, he says that through his seed, through him and through his seed, shall all the earth be blessed. And the promise includes that the land that was promised to his father and grandfather, the vastness of the family tree, the promises all are to be with Jacob throughout uh, and that he would be with Jacob throughout all of his journeys. Now, God knew this. He knew that Jacob was about to go to Haran. Now, we, we, we're going to get to that next week. It didn't go as planned. Right. He gets his bride. It's not the right one. OK, so we, he knows this is not going to go as quickly. What, what happened with Abraham? Remember, Abraham's servant goes in. And he, and he, he prays, he, he gets to the city and he prays and he says, okay, God, if you will uh, bless the, my, my master and provide this bride. And as he's speaking, up walks his girl and she does everything just like she's supposed to do it according to what he had prayed about. And so she, she uh, Rebecca comes in he says, she, and she feeds his, gives him water, gives his camels water. Take, they go back to the house and you know how that, that story went within a few days they're headed back. Uh, Jacob wouldn't be that fortunate. He's going to go back and he's going to be there and he's going to work 14 years before he finally gets the wife. So God knows this, right? Now we might look at someone else and say, God, how come their ministry went like that? How come their life went like that? How come their children went like this and mine are not happening? mine's not happening the same way? And we, and we can look at all that. And here's what the promise is. And this is the promise that is so important here. And that is, that I am with thee, verse 15, Behold, I am with thee, and will keep thee in all places whither thou goest, and will bring thee again into thy land. Alright, he's going to be there. It's going to be a long time. But God says, I'm going to bring you back. Um, And and listen, while you're gone, I'm going to be with you every step of the way. He says, wherever you would go, I'm going to go with you. The promise is repeated for us in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. That's a really, uh, may, maybe one of the most assuring promises outside of the uh, of the security that we have in our salvation. But that through every step that we go through life, our Lord is going through it with us. This brought up a question in my mind as I was studying this and I wondered, Okay, if God's omnipresent, then why does He say, I'm going to be with you? If God's if God, omnipresent, God is everywhere. Let me give you some verses. David wrote this in Psalm 139, verse 7 through 10 Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. Jonah, that's not enough. Jonah chapter 1, verse 3. Jonah rose up to flee the Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa, and he found the ship going to Tarshish. And he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them to the Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. What did Jonah find out? He couldn't escape the presence of the Lord. God is everywhere, right? We, we know that. We, we believe in the omnipresence of God. So does that make the promise, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, a pointless promise? Right? I mean, this is, okay, this is the, the questions that go through my mind when I'm studying. And I thought, I need a better answer than, well, it's, it's just a, it reassures or something like that. Matthew chapter 18, verse 20. We're going to cover this next week. For where two, the next Sunday morning, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Yeah, sometimes we will pray. We'll say, well, Lord, we know that you said that where two or three are gathered together in my name, that you're in the midst of us. So, Lord, we, we thank you for knowing that you're gathered together with us today in here. But then I could just go, you know what? He's omnipresent, so he's, we already knew that. So what, is this a pointless promise? We need to understand that God is everywhere. He sees everything and nothing can be hidden from him. This is, an ex- this is a truth, whether we experience it or not. So whether somebody wants to admit that God is omnipresent or not, God is still omnipresent. Right? We, abso- we absolutely know that. But the promises of his presence are about his interaction with his people. The promise when he says, I'm going to go with you. It's not just he's going to be in the background watching and we're not going to know he's there. He's saying, I'm going with you. I'm going, I'm blessing you. It, it's like a parent embracing their child. I'm going to, yes, I'm not just going to be in the stands watching, but I'm going to be right there with you. I'm going to be holding you. I'm going to be carrying you. I'm going to be helping you. I'm going to be doing whatever you need on this journey. A play, it is a place of honor to be in his presence. So the promise here in our text and the promise in Matthew 18 verse verse 20 is not about His knowledge of us or that He sees us or that He's somewhere mystically there. But it is that He is going to have divine interaction with us. So God is always present everywhere. But His presence with us means He's interacting with us today. I hope and pray that God isn't just here as omnipresent tonight, but that He is here with us and interacting in our hearts, speaking to us, moving in us, His Holy Spirit prodding our hearts to make make our lives, to turn things over to Him, to confess things, to repent, to thank Him, to speak to Him. You see, and it's not just a one-way thing where He speaks to us, we need to speak back to Him. All the songs we sing today, did your Were your words, were you speaking to God? Or were you just singing because this is what we do? Well, I'm, I'm singing praises to God. I'm worshiping. This is just how, this is what we do. No, those words need to be out of your mouth in his ears. And knowing that we are interacting with him because he is with us. His presence is with us today. So was Jacob aware of God's omnipresence before this dream? I don't know. I think he, he may have been. But the dream brought him an experiential knowledge of the Lord's presence. Now, look at verse 17. And he was afraid and said, How dreadful is this place! This is none other but the house of God. But this is the gate of heaven. And Jacob rose up early in the morning and took the stone that he had put for his pillows and set it up for a pillar and poured oil upon the top of it. And he he called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of that city was called Luz at the first. And Jacob bowed about saying, if God be with me and will keep me in this way that I go I will give, and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God. And this stone, which I have set for a pillar, shall be God's house. And of all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give a tenth unto thee. All right, there's a lot here in these verses. Um, here we see the, the house of God. He talks about he calls Bethel the house uh, he calls it Bethel which means the house of God. So Jacob's life changing encounter with the Lord was a time to remember. Do you remember where you were when you were saved? Okay. Um, you, somebody tell me how many of you were in church when you got saved? Okay a lot of you. All right. uh, how many of you were at home? Okay. Um, I was in school. I was in Mr. Cleveland's room in Bethany Christian School. And you come in and you pass the office on the right. It's the room halfway down, the middle room on the left hand side. And it was over by his desk. He, his desk was between the windows, and I was sitting there right between the windows. All right. Where else? Somebody else tell me where you got sit. That wasn't one of those two. Church parking lot. Church parking lot. That counts as church. Okay. All right. No, I'm just kidding. Church parking lot. Uh, anybody else? Camp. There you go. How many of you were saved at camp? Okay, good. Uh, anybody else? How many of you just haven't got saved? Don't answer. That. <laughs> um, okay. You know that when I go into Bethany Christian School, I want, I want our team to beat them. Okay? Bad. It happened the other way this week. But anyway, I want our team to beat them bad. But when I still walk by that room, Often, I will think, that's where I got saved. At the age of 12, September 17, 1990. He said, Pastor, I don't know the date. It's okay. You don't need to know the date. I, just looked, I looked it up several years later, try to figure it out. That has a special meaning. But you know, I, I never once said, well, oh, Mr. Cleveland can't move out of that room. That's Mr. Cleveland's room. I never thought, well, you can't move that desk. I got saved at, at, next to his desk. Well, you can't put new carpet in there. That's that's where I got saved right there. You see, sometimes the, the places that we got saved, they mean something to us. Wh- which parking lot was it? New Hope Baptist Church. New Hope in? Fernand. In Ferndale. I didn't know that ever existed. Long time ago. Um, <laughs> so, certain places... Certain places, certain buildings, certain rooms, furniture, somebody could say, you know what, and I actually I actually had this happen. I wasn't a member of our church, but um, when we got the new pulpit, I didn't like the old pulpit. I felt like it was too big and I felt stuck behind it. Okay? I just didn't like it. And so my father-in-law built me this and, and I love it. Okay? Now I've had people, most everybody has liked it. There's been a couple people that, or there's one person who didn't like it. Um, but you know, um, and that's okay. But I did have somebody tell me one time who was here for a funeral, I think, and they said, "They said, where's the old pulpit? Man. And they were adamant that that pulpit needs to be up there because that's where Pastor Bach used to preach the truth. And, Pastor, and and they got saved under the preaching of Pastor Bach behind that pulpit. We, why would we take that pulpit away? Do you see the problem? This pulpit, that pulpit has nothing to do with the gospel. Has nothing to do with how you heard. Because whether you heard it in a parking lot... Years ago. Or whether you heard it at camp, or you heard it in church, or you heard it at school, or you heard it at home, none of that matters. What matters is the gospel that was given to you. You say, well, I was sitting in that pew when my life was changed. We should put a plaque on that pew because that's where I got saved. It's not wrong to hold on to those memories. It's not wrong to walk by that room and go, I remember the day that I got saved in that room. In fact, I would say that those are good memories to have. But like Jacob did here, we can put too much emphasis on the place that God has, where God has touched us instead of on the God who touched us. Oh man, that's the place. That's the preacher. That's the missionary. That's the... Ooh, listen, uh, I, Brian, you were saved with Jim Jones preaching, right? Missionary Jim Jones was preaching the night that Brian got saved. I remember that. I remember that night. And and Brian could say, and I'm so thankful for Jim Jones preaching the gospel to me. For me to hear it that night and to be saved. I'm thankful for his faithfulness. But Jim Jones did not have one uh, ounce of power in Brian getting saved that night. It was all from God. So Jacob, he says, this is the house of God. I'm going to set up this stone. I'm not saying it was wrong to set up a stone. I'm going to anoint this stone. I'm not saying it's wrong to say I'm anointed stone. But when he says this is, this here, this stone is God's house, he's putting more emphasis on the place, the things, instead of on the God who showed up that day. The God who changed him. He, he makes a, takes a pillow, He makes a, his pillow stone makes an altar in the Lord. He called the place Bethel, the house of God. This city would become a major city. I think it's mentioned second most in the Old Testament, uh, in the land of Israel. It's the city mentioned second most times behind the city of Jerusalem. And so this city becomes a a, a major player, a major part of the Jewish history in the Old Testament. Then the question is, he wakes up early in the morning, verse 18. Verse 17, how dreadful is this place? There's none other but the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. He, he, he goes on and there, he, he shows some level of trust. And we're not really sure. Like, does he... Is he showing a great level of faith? Well, he says in verse number uh, 20, and Jacob vowed a vow saying, if God be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on so that I come into my Father's house in peace, then shall the lord be my god. Now we might read that and go, "Ooh, he's that doesn't sound like a lot of faith." If God will do this, then I would do we make deals with God? Not like that we don't. God had already made promises to him. Now the interesting thing to me anyway is that the word if is it's a conditional word. You could say if or whether But another word that you could, that is used, that is translated, uh, it is translated this way other times, is the word when or the word since. Okay, so it could be that he's actually saying God has predefined his role and since God is going to do all these things, then I'm going to be, I'm, I'm going to be his servant. He's going to be my God. Now, since God will be with me, since God will keep me, since God will give me bread to eat, since God will give me raiment, since God will bring me again to my father's house in peace, because of all this, the Lord will be my God. Now, is that the case? I think it's debatable about how much faith he had here. But here's here's what I want us to remember. Whether or not Jacob believed it, God would be faithful and he would meet every covenant in his promise, every promise in his covenant with Jacob. Right. We know that God was going to do it. It didn't matter whether he believed it or not. God had a plan. But I think what we see here, either way, is we see faith, but it's not perfect faith. But it's growing faith. And we keep coming back to that theme, that what we see in the patriarchs is not perfect faith. But it's faith that is growing. This section ends with the voluntary promise of offerings from Jacob to the Lord. He says at the end of verse 22, second half, And of all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give a tenth to thee. The tenth, the tithe here is promised. And so we we could say, Well, look at and, and I and I understand this, and I've said it, and I don't disagree with it, we see the tithe before we ever see the law. So was the was the tithe a part of the law? We could say, Well, no, because we see it here. We saw Abraham give tithes in the Melchizedek, and I talked about this at that point. But we need to remember that this is an example of someone giving a someone volunteering to give a tithe. It is not a command. We can't take a volunteer gift as a command. We, there, there is no mandate here. There is a pattern. We can see that. We can see a pattern of people that love God, that are worshiping Him, and when God blesses them, they give Him a tithe. Okay, So we can see a pattern. We can see an example, but there is no mandate here. God is honored with our obedience. And if God says for you to give this much, then you are to give that much. And God's honored with our obedience. But He is also honored with our obedience. Sacrifice. He's honored when we choose to give to him. We must acknowledge that this promise from Jacob is not a mandate for the tithe, but we, see, we do see several godly people set this example. So what shall we do? Here's how we're going to close. God's, God is present with us here tonight because he's on the present, right? No doubt God is here tonight because he's everywhere. But is he present with you? In the sense that He is blessing and embracing you. Is, is He real to you? And I don't mean you have, do you get shivers up your spine. I don't mean do you feel like someone touching you. My mom, my mom had an experience the other day. Let me tell you about this. She has no idea what I'm going to say. She's in the house. She's at the counter. And she hears a voice. Cheryl. It was my dad outside laying on the driveway yelling for my mom. But she, no, she didn't have... But she said, she said, I could hear this voice. I was standing at the counter and I heard this voice. I started cracking up. Um, it was my dad outside yelling for her to come help him up off the concrete. Um, that really was not my notice, believe it or not. So, um, so I don't mean you, you hear voices. If you do, you need to go see someone. Okay? <laughs> I don't mean you feel a shiver up your spine. Now, let me ask you something. Can, because the Holy Spirit working in your heart, can, can you start to sweat a little bit? Can you start to get a little bit, your heart beat up? And certainly. I don't, I don't have any doubt about any of that. But those are not proofs that God is working in you. The proof that God is working in you is that you begin to see the areas of your life that need to be adjusted. The areas of your life where you need to confess. The areas of your life that He needs more control of. You begin to see him for who he is. You begin to see you for who you are. And the more you see that, the more you see the, the difference between us and him. But also, we begin to see how he came to us and loved us. So the question is not is God in this room because we know he is? The question is he interacting with you personally? We have something greater than a dream. Now this dream was from God. There's no doubt about it. This wasn't just he had bad tacos. You know, he just he had a dream that was from God. And when he had this dream, uh, it's an amazing revelation. Some of us, I wonder how many people would trade the word of God for this one night dream. But that would be foolish, because we have something far greater than a dream, with angels going up and downstairs. Now that's how God used. He revealed Himself to Jacob with that dream. But man, God reveals himself to us with all that we can handle, I believe, in Scripture. And we have something far greater. We have the completed revelation of God in our fingertips at all times. So, is the Lord present in this place tonight? Yes. Is he present and is he interacting with you? I hope and pray he is. I hope and pray he's working on me. He was working on me this morning. He's worked on me tonight, and I hope that's what He's doing with you. We're going to stand and prepare to sing. You can, uh, Whoever's leading can come up and lead us in our, in our closing hymn. Uh, go ahead and stand with me as we prepare. If you're not sure that if you were to die today, what would happen? Then uh, God has revealed Himself to us through Scripture. The Holy Spirit will work in your heart, and you can see your need for a Savior. I hope and pray that tonight would be the day that you trust Him. I know, I know everybody in this room. And, and, I, and I'm guessing everybody in this room has made a professional faith of some sort but that doesn't mean everybody's saved so if you're not saved trust in him. and if you are saved uh, understand that God's presence is here with you and that is a promise that we cannot that is one of the most uh, glorious promises that we have from the word of God is that he will never leave us and he will never forsake us thank you for joining us today on the First Baptist Church of Hazel Park audio podcast If you have questions or would like to know more about First Baptist Church, visit us online at fbchazelpark.com.